0: This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Are you looking to save 50, 60, even 70% on your phone bill? Well, here's a tip. Broadvoice.com. Hi, it's Brad Staggs of Blaze TV here. Broadvoice offers high-quality phone service for only $8.95 a month. You may ask, how can I save so much money? What's the catch? Well, the secret is the technology. Broadvoice uses VoIP technology that takes analog audio signals from your phone, turns them into digital data, and then transfers them over the Internet. do what we did here at blaze radio make the switch today at broadvoice.com or call 888-332-8036 888-332-8036
1: This is the Glenn Beck Program.
2: You're on. Good morning and welcome to the Glenn Beck Program. I'm John Cardillo standing in for the vacationing Glenn Beck taking a well-deserved vacation And you must be wondering, well, who is this John Cardillo guy? Well, just a quick intro on me so you know who you're going to be listening to. For the next three hours and tomorrow morning, I actually got my start in media with Glenn. But I'm not a media guy. I wasn't a radio guy. I wasn't a TV guy. I was a New York City cop. And I started a business that grew. And so I saw the world through two very uh, unique lenses. One through the lens of a street cop in the South Bronx and the NYPD. The other through uh, uh, an executive a private equity guy that founded a company. I was an entrepreneur, a company that grew rapidly. And we were tracking bad guys in large online communities. And I wound up spending a good part of my life in the legislative arena, testifying to 15, 20 state legislatures uh, of the U.S. Congress, U.S. Senate subcommittees on pedophiles and terror fundraising online and, and all these bad guys and, and interesting topics. And I came away with a very unique skill set that was of interest and value to people like Glenn Beck, and the others on air, and they started using me as a, as a as a guest, as a guy who was coming on as a subject matter expert, and it turned out I really enjoyed it, and it was my calling, and I decided to go on air, give it a shot for myself. I got my start with Glenn about three, three and a half years ago. We were doing political analysis. I loved it, and it just went from there, and luckily, luckily, it turned into a career for me, but but I owe a lot to Glenn, and, and interestingly, one of the things you'll, you'll learn about me, if you don't already know me, I know many of you... Know me from Glenn Beck's show, from my radio show. I host a morning show down in Miami, Fort Lauderdale, where I'm based. But uh, many of you know that I was, uh, was an ardent Trump supporter from the beginning. And uh, Glenn obviously was not. And, and he's still very skeptical. But isn't that the great thing about America? Isn't that the great thing about America? That a media giant like Glenn Beck, who can be so anti a candidate, and a guy like me, who can be so pro a candidate, stands in for his show. Because, see, we can be friends and disagree on an issue. And that's one of the things that's very disappointing to me, is thats is that I'm watching this whole past year, this this past campaign season, people who were otherwise very good friends having these falling fallings out and, and uh, not speaking to each other and, and harassing each other and becoming very vitriolic and angry with one another on Facebook and Twitter over a political candidate. I mean, I've lost friends, colleagues in this industry who are on the Never Trump side, and I was pro-Trump. And we don't speak, we, we, we don't, we, we unfollowed each other, we blocked each other over this. And I will say, I was never really the catalyst for that. Maybe it goes back to being a, a street cop in my 20s. I'm pretty thick-skinned. I don't really care who you support. If you're a good American and you live your life well, I don't, I don't care who you support. We can disagree. I might think you're misguided on issues. But I'm not going to personally dislike you. And that's why I've always had such respect for Glenn and that he can have a guy like me come in and, and guest host for him, knowing that we differ on this issue. But being you know, the, the, the giant in the industry that he is and, and being the guy that he is, want his audience to hear that opposing viewpoint, want to educate his audience, let his audience hear all sides. It's just a shame that more people in media aren't doing the same thing. And I think we should, not just those of us in media, but uh, those of us in general. In general, one of my best friends is, uh, is, is a is a hardcore, liberal, Obama-supporting Democrat. The guy's like family to me. I even call him Baby Obama because he's mixed race and graduated Harvard Law School. But our families have done holidays together for the last 30-something years. We don't let politics get in the way of this nonsense, you know, of, of our friendship. We don't let nonsense get in the way of, of friendship. And so it, it really bothers me when people treat their friends poorly. And I had such a great... Uh, Christmas. And it's been such a great holiday season for me. And Tiffany Gabay is in the studio with me. Tiffany had a great Hanukkah Tiffany got her start on the Blaze as well. And uh, say hi Tiffany.
1: Hi, John. Um, thank you for having me on the show.
2: It's a pleasure. And there's a reason I the reason I wanted you to be here because you really have become one of the one of my go to experts on Israel. And I had a great Christmas and you had a great Hanukkah and we had a great holiday season and we're gonna have a great new year. We haven't treated Israel very well. You know, going back to what I was talking about, friends disagreeing, but ultimately backing each other up. It's okay for the United States and Israel to disagree. But, but I find what we just did to Israel at the United Nations is reprehensible. We were a very bad friend to Israel, who's our, one of our greatest allies in history. But, but more importantly, an irreplaceable strategic partner in what is now the most volatile region in the world. Historically speaking, I would argue that the Middle East in a nuclear age is the most historically volatile region in the world. So explain a little bit. You've been studying this and you've been studying it for me. Explain a little bit, a couple of points, what this resolution was, what it means, and and things that we can do to mitigate the fallout of this.
1: Of course. Well, let's make no mistake. The... Under the Obama administration, the U.S. has not been a friend to Israel for the past eight years, and this was Obama's final backstabbing for Israel. He wanted to basically set a fire ablaze and leave it for President-elect Trump to have to deal with when he, you know, when he takes office. Essentially, um, the Security Council resolution 2334 condemns Israeli settlements in the West Bank and East Jerusalem. It considers them occupied territory, and it talks about the 1967 borders, which we'll get into a little bit later, because there are no such thing as 1967 borders. But basically what this resolution does is deem the Western Wall one of Judaism's most sacred places occupied Palestinian territory.
2: Let me ask a question about that, because that's really important. There, There have been, since 2008 allegations of a a subconscious anti-Semitism that that permeates the Obama administration. You're one of the most rational people I know. You have family in Israel. You're a Jewish woman. You're you're a Zionist. You believe in the state of Israel. But you've also been very rational. You've never come on my show. I've watched you do hits on other shows where you've been so opinion-driven that you let the obvious fall away. Now, Now, with all that in mind, and I mean that. I'm not just playing that up because we're friends and we and, and you're a colleague. Do you feel that that, that that subconscious anti-Semitism has permeated the Obama administration? Because I do. I personally do. I think there's always been this detest of Israel. Maybe it's come through Barack Obama's academic career. I think Samantha Power at the UN has been our worst UN ambassador. She has, has worked against the interests of the United States for as many years as she's been there and John Kerry to me is kind of this moronic do-nothing figurehead caught in between power and Obama who are ideologically identical so they needed a secretary of state that wouldn't get in their way and I think all three of them couldn't care less about the Jewish state and and truly want to either be loved by the the Middle Eastern Muslim nations or they just they desire to be loved by the globalist community that European globalist mentality community that they think is cool and invites them to the really ritzy dinner parties. I mean, am I on something, or is this crazy conspiracy Cardillo theory?
1: Definitely not conspiracy theory. In fact, I think one of the things that people get confused about is when they think about anti-Semitism, they think about it the way the Anti-Defamation League would characterize it. If you see a little green frog meme on Twitter, for example, or someone you know uses the term Jew, you have particularly liberals screaming about anti-Semitism, But people do not realize that being anti-Israel is the new incarnation of anti-Semitism, and that is Barack Obama, whether it's because he feels sympathetic. Uh, for the Islamic world, and he believes that they are truly colonized and oppressed people. And you know, he looks at Israel as the little Satan and as as a colonizer and subjugator of the quote indigenous Palestinians, which of course that's not true. I think that he's definitely motivated by that ideology. And of course, it's also the cocktail party cred. At the end of the day, it's fashionable and cool to vilify Israel uh, because. There are new exotic people that the left can align itself with and, and act like champions of, and those are Muslims.
2: Right, and here's what gets me though: when I, it, it's always the people who who purport to be the most educated, the most cultured, who have this mentality. Because when I go and talk to my friends, the New York City cops, the firefighters, and, and I've become a pretty well known media guy in the first responder community. I speak to the cops and firefighters and medics and, and military personnel from around the country, and and often I'll I'll be on I am with those deployed around the world, we're just chatting. They either listen to my show or they follow me on Twitter or they're friends of mine. They get it. They get it. It's common sense. They'll say things to me like, well, isn't Israel like our only friend in that neighborhood? You know, Aren't these the guys who are holding down the fort? We share intelligence. I mean, Jordan's been an ally to an extent, but Israel is a go-to solid ally well, you know, in, in the vein of the UK. But look, we haven't treated the UK very well. Poland has been another staunch ally. Their special forces, the GROM, Polish special forces, were in into not just the first Gulf War, uh, rather this war, but also the first Gulf War in 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 the first waves, alongside our SEALs and our Delta guys. We've treated Poland like dirt, like dirt. We pulled their missile missile defenses. We pulled money for their defense. It seems like under the Obama administration, the nations who have been there, who have put their people on the front lines to shed blood with ours have been treated the worst, and the people drawing that blood have been treated the best. And it doesn't take a Harvard Law degree to figure that out. Yet those with the Harvard, I'm not condemning everybody who went to Harvard Law, some great people, but those in that cocktail party set, that liberal intelligentsia, it do, do they not get it, or do they, they just not care?
1: Well, they don't get it, and people make the fatal mistake of thinking that college-educated equals smart. It just means that they are indoctrinated into the same school of thought. Um, you know, and, and with regard to Obama, this has been, you know, his his cause from the beginning when he went on his world apology tour. It was about cutting America's role down to size. It was about distancing uh, ourselves from our allies, Israel, the only democracy in the Middle East, the U.K., and befriending these despotic third world regimes, you know, like, like yeah. Cuba, for instance, right. because they're going to do so much for us. Yeah. But if you look at Obama's background, he was raised and indoctrinated through his mother, through Frank Marshall Davis, through his, you know, right. dreams of his father into this far left wing ideology. So it absolutely makes sense that someone with this worldview would want to align with the, you know, the, the lesser entities and to bring America down to size.
2: You know, and I want to just add something that, that has nothing to do with the Middle East. And I don't know if most Americans know this, but, but one of the things I demanded, and I wrote the White House, I emailed the White House, and I've asked this of Donald Trump's administration as well. I had Katrina Pearson on my show, and I demanded of her. Joanne Chesimard, a.k.a. Asada Shakur, who murdered state trooper Werner Forrester back in the 70s, she's number four on the FBI's most wanted terrorist list. She lives openly in Cuba. Our intelligent people know exactly, they know her address. She shops at open-air markets, we have photos of her. She lives openly in Cuba, okay? Her name, Asada Shakur, is the name she, she uh, assumed when she became a radical. Bill Ayers, Obama's best friend, named his son Zaid. Z-A-Y-D, after Zaid Shakur, her co-conspirator in the murder of, of Trooper Forrester, Obama never demanded her return. Worse, and a lot of people don't know this, Democratic Senator uh, Congresswoman Maxine Waters in 1998, while a sitting U.S. Congresswoman wrote a letter to Fidel Castro calling this cop killer, this terrorist, a freedom fighter and begging Fidel Castro not to to extradite her to the U.S. Now, she was convicted. She broke out of prison, Chesomard. She's not facing trial here. She's going back to jail. This is today's Democratic Party. But even worse, Tiffany, John Kerry is about to draft another resolution that makes things even worse for Israel. And we're going to be talking about that when we come back. You're with the Glenn Beck Program. I'm John Cardillo standing in for Glenn. We'll be right back with you.
0: We have one. The Glenn Beck
1: Program. Mercury
0: Are you looking to save 50, 60, even 70% on your phone bill? Well, here's a tip. Broadvoice.com. Hi, it's Brad Staggs of Blaze TV here. Broadvoice offers high-quality phone service for only 8.95 a month. You may ask, "How can I save so much money? What's the catch?" Well, the secret is the technology. Broadvoice uses VoIP technology that takes analog audio signals from your phone, turns them into digital data, and then transfers them over the Internet. This means crystal clear sound and cheaper phone bills. Broadvoice has been ranked in the Deloitte Technology Fast 500 and Inc. 500 as one of the fastest growing private companies in America. Get Broadvoice right now for only eight ninety five dollars 95 a month. Keep your existing phone number for free, and Broadvoice will send you their easy plug-in adapter free. All this, and you get unlimited local calling for just eight ninety five dollars 95 a month. Plus, for a limited time, Broadvoice will even give you your first month free. Do what we did here at Blaze Radio. Make the switch today at Broadvoice.com or call 888-332-8036. 888-332-8036. Glenn
2: Beck program eight 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 seven two seven Beck. You're on. Welcome back to the Glenn Beck program. I am John Cardillo, standing in for Glenn while he's on a well-deserved vacation. Tiffany Cabay in studio with me, and we've been talking about this terrible, terrible UN resolution against Israel, and and now more disturbingly, some news is breaking this morning, as if uh, you know they didn't do enough damage over Christmas weekend during Hanukkah by by doing this to one of our greatest allies. News is breaking that John Kerry is uh, next month going to sit down with a bunch of European globalists, people who have zero interest in the security of the Western world, zero interest in in curbing the flow of radical Islamic terror. We're going to be talking a lot later on in the show, too, about ISIS and and what I call their virtual caliphate. Make no mistake. Groups like ISIS are not these backwards, desert-roaming savages. These are very sophisticated operators incredibly sophisticated, sophisticated in the use of technology, tactics, etc. And John Kerry and, and his cronies, his globalist cronies, don't seem to understand this. So, again, I'm going to hand this over to my, one of my favorite analysts on Israel, Tiffany Gabay. So, Tiffany, what is Kerry doing? Because it's bad. But break it down in simple terms what he's about to do and what that means, not just for Israeli security, but for uh, American homeland security, European homeland security. It's it's a dismal, I have a dismal view of what could possibly happen if this takes effect.
1: Well, definitely. And what the Netanyahu government is fearing most right now is that on January 15th, globalists are going to be meeting in France to have a meeting on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. During that meeting, Kerry, uh, it's feared that Kerry is going to present a draft negotiation for a future Palestinian state. Now, this is going to be coordinated by the U.S., U.N., Russia. I mean, get this, Russia, that occupied Crimea and eastern Ukraine is going to dictate on what, you know, Israeli occupation. So, you know, well, let, me, let me
2: add something, by the way, for the audience. And I know this is, this is a, a very well-versed, very well-informed audience. But, but for those who don't know, currently, as we sit here, on the morning of December 26th, 2016, the Congo, where rape is legal, Cuba, where you're jailed if you look at at somebody in their vehicle the wrong way, and Saudi Arabia, where yeah, your I'm hand is cut off if you steal something, they sit on the UN Human Rights Council. The United States does not. We do not. So this this is a, a group that's whose input is going to be integral to what Kerry is drafting. The Congo, Cuba and Saudi Arabia members, I suggest everybody go online and search the UN Human Rights Council and look at the member nations. It'll blow your mind. And anyway, though, tell us a little bit more about the meat of this resolution.
1: Right. It's not parody. And if you needed proof that the U.N. is a joke and that it should be defunded, I mean, just again, go online and and look at the U.N., you know, Human Rights Council. It, It is absolutely a joke. So one of the main fears is that this particular draft negotiation will call Israel to return to its, quote, 1967 borders. Now, that's been a favorite meme of the Obama administration from the get-go, 1967 borders are not that. They are actually referring to armistice lines um, from the 1948 war that would render Israel indefensible. Yeah, it's like a nine-mile, mile, nine mile yeah, wide.
2: It's, it's like it's like the size airport. of, of you, you. You said it uh, to me in an email earlier. It's the size of Dallas Fort Worth Airport. Exactly. Yeah, that's what they're defending their nation with, with with a border with with a sort of a demilitarized zone that wide.
1: Exactly. It's now, ridiculous. Now this is our only this is the only democracy in the Middle East. This is a key strategic ally for the United States in the war on terror and in the Middle East, you know, full stop. Yeah. So basically Netanyahu is now looking to Trump and looking to Congress for help.
2: And I love the way not only Netanyahu handled this, but the mayor of Jerusalem. And good good for him because he's he and his citizens are really directly in the line of fire, and no pun intended, directly in the line of fire. But I've always been very anti-UN, and it's not because I'm a conservative guy. You know, as a New York City cop, one of the things I loved about Rudy Giuliani, Rudy Giuliani saw the UN for what it was. He got up and walked out when Arafat spoke. He got up and walked out when they were celebrating the Castros. But when, this is back in the 90s, so when I was a New York City cop back in the 90s, a lot of people don't know this. Rudy Giuliani, who before he was mayor, was a brilliant federal prosecutor, he, he figured out that in, in New York, because moving and parking violations are violations, not crimes, diplomat, they're impervious to diplomatic immunity. And he would have us just beat the diplomats' cars up with parking tickets and moving violations because they disrespected his city. They were parking in front of fire hydrants and block bus stops and do whatever they wanted and blow red lights and endanger school zones. And he said, you stop them, you ticket them. There's no diplomatic immunity. If they want to go to court and fight it out, let them go to court. It's a violation in New York, so you can't send your lawyer. The diplomat had to show up. And let me tell you, it worked. It worked. They stopped because these diplomats who think they're God were, were showing up in traffic court with the common folk. And they didn't. They didn't like that. And But unfortunately, the U.N. has created a very, to me anyway, and I think to many others who analyze this for a living, a very very dangerous world and we're seeing the effects of that in berlin we're seeing the effects of that here and we're going to be i fear seeing the effects of that in many more countries to come if this resolution passes we're going to be talking about that when we come back you with john cardillo guest hosting for glenn beck the glenn beck program
0: you're clear for five minutes
1: this is the glenn beck program
2: mercury Program. Yeah. Well, welcome back to the Glenn Beck program. I'm John Cardello, guest hosting for Glenn Beck, who is on a well-deserved holiday vacation. Give us a call 727 Beck. You know, I talk on my show often about about things through the lens of my law enforcement experience, but I think I think especially uh, at this point in history, it's valid, it's relevant, it's pertinent. And one of the things that drives me absolutely insane it really makes me lose my mind, is the term lone wolf terrorist. Now we saw a horrific attack in Berlin in which people were targeted for no other reason than they were Western Christians during the Christmas season. No other reason. No matter what you're told, that's why they were targeted. We saw it here in Chattanooga. We saw it here in San Bernardino. We don't even know how many attacks are stopped. Later on in the show, somebody's going to be joining me, very good friend of mine, Ed Hartnett, he was the chief of intelligence. He was NYPD's chief of intelligence on the morning of 9-11. He's a global expert on, on terror and, and security. And we're going to be talking about some other things and how New York City and other cities are going to be secured uh, uh, on New Year's Eve and, and throughout the rest of the holiday season. But he and I and guys like him, friends of mine who are CIA, who are special operators, we speak about this often. And the one frustration we all take away is this term, lone wolf terrorist, because it's a misnomer. ISIS... And Al-Qaeda have for decades, decades, not years, not months, and ISIS is a relatively new entity, but those who were, were are now ISIS and who were with some other radical group of savages, they, they've always cultivated lone wolves. very good friend of mine has spent many years in the CIA, recently, recently. He's only out a few years. He's a if, if his life could be made into a book, it would be a bestseller. He and I often talk about the virtual caliphate. So what am I talking about, virtual caliphate? Well, like I said earlier in the show... Don't, don't assume that because these terrorists drive around the desert in dusty white pickup trucks that they're backwards. These are very intelligent, highly, highly motivated people. And and nothing illustrates that better than a recent story. We're going to get to Berlin in a second. But, but one that, you know, I, as a student of this, as a guy who analyzes this, as a guy who used to go out and interdict and, and lock bad guys up. Not many things make me take take a step back and say, wow, that's scary. Because we were the guys who couldn't afford to be scared. Well, we couldn't afford to let people know we were scared. We were scared. I don't care what anybody tells you. Walking into a pitch black hallway in the South Bronx back in the 1990s when you knew you had two murderous guys in there with guns and you had very limited descriptions on them. Well, that's scary. But you can't let the people who call 911 know that's scary. You've got to let them think you've got the situation in hand, right? You've got to win that fight. Because if you don't, as the police, as our military, as our intelligence community, if we don't win those fights, society goes down the drain. We, do, we don't know. We can be scared internally, but we've got to win. But one of the things that scared me was a story about ISIS developing an app that teaches children how to blow up Big Ben and the Eiffel Tower. The app is called Haruf, and it teaches kids how to spell words such as grenade and rocket using pictures to help them remember. It's almost like Rosetta Stone for terrorism. And it was recently updated so that kids could learn about destroying Western landmarks like the Statue of Liberty, Big Ben, the Eiffel Tower. This, this is what I mean by the virtual caliphate. About a year or so ago, and didn't get much press, one of the, the, the preeminent ISIS recruiters and fundraisers was arrested. You know who she was? She was. She was a 24-year-old American girl in Seattle whose Facebook photos were pictures of her wearing Seattle Seahawks jerseys. This was not a Muslim girl in a hijab. This was not a woman in a burqa. This was a young American girl that you would not give a second look to if you were online next to her at the supermarket. So we need to get out of the 1970s, 1980s, 1990s mindset. And we need to remove that old paradigm when we fight terror. And so when we look at a guy like this Berlin attacker, and by the way, quick digression, kudos to the police officer in Milan, Italy, a rookie police officer still in training, still on probation, who took that terrorist out. What a great job. What a great job. Proud that he's a member of the same law enforcement, global law enforcement community I am. But we look at a guy like the Berlin terrorist we look at the San Bernardino terrorists, and I'm not going to say their names. I don't want to say their names, because that'll give them the attention they desire. When I look at them, and the left immediately rushes in, and you, you know what the left says, right? Don't jump to conclusions. Well, the guy screaming, Allahu Akbar, driving a truck through Christians. I jump to conclusions. I'm just a guy who stereotypes from experience. It's a lot faster. It saves a lot of time. And I can get you the information uh, much quicker, much more efficiently. But uh, when, we, when we talk about a lone wolf, and we act as if that's not somehow part of a greater terror conspiracy, a greater terror network. We are misguided. And we're misguided because we're ignorant. And we're ignorant because the writing is on the wall. Tiffany had dug up some, uh, some literature. I think it was Al-Qaeda, right? Mm-hmm. Do we have it handy? Yeah. Well, we can read it. Can you just read the, the excerpt? That this was published by Al Qaeda, correct?
1: Right. So. Um, when
2: when when did they publish? When did Al Qaeda? Uh, well,
1: they did one uh, spring, so May of 2016, and okay. they've, they've been doing these issues since you know for years, and right before the Boston Marathon bombing. Okay. As
2: well. so, so read read the portion about lone wolves. The lone wolves that the the left wants us to believe are are these these anomalies that have nothing to do with terror organizations on the whole. Read what Al Qaeda wrote about lone wolves
1: okay so lone wolf or a lone jihadist uh, is is someone who has to make every effort to strive and endure in fighting the enemy the second component is that is intended by lone jihad that the brother should implement jihad individually and independently in the land of the kuffar which are you know the occupied right people um, without having to report to the Mujahideen that is the warrior Right. Leadership. So basically, you do not need to report to a greater terror cell or a greater Islamic organized entity to basically serve the greater caliphate. Wait,
2: basically, if you're reporting to Allah, you have no accountability to anybody else as long as you're killing in the name of Islam. Exactly. If you're killing in the name of Islam, in the name of ISIS, and you've never interfaced with Abubakar al-Baghdadi, but you're doing it for ISIS, you're every bit the ISIS fighter as the guy driving Baghdadi around in that white pickup truck. Absolutely. And and we, but, but but shame on us in the media, because this is, is maybe the first time I've heard this on air. When we shared that I haven't heard anybody. I haven't heard ABC. I haven't heard NBC. I haven't heard CBS. I haven't heard CNN. I haven't heard the BBC, Al Jazeera. No one reports on this.
1: Well, and and look at what a failure it is in their duty as reporters. This is in black and white. Al Qaeda has a magazine, an English language magazine called Inspire, and they have been printing feature stories about how to become a lone warrior. Um, In the greater jihad for years, for example, just prior to the Boston Marathon bombing, they had features on how you could build a pressure cooker bomb in your mom's kitchen and, and, you know, basically blow up the infidels. And again, they're doing that here. But this is basically a concerted effort by the left to exculpate Islam. So, for example, if you notice with the Munich attack or with the Orlando terrorist massacre, the LGBT nightclub, the narrative was that the perpetrator suffered from mental illness or social and societal problems. The lone wolf narrative is is specifically to posit that the attacker suffered social isolation or mental health disorders, and it nullifies Islam's culpability. But of course, it isn't because lone jihad is an actual component of
2: uh, of jihad. Of it's a teaching. Exactly. It's it's part of their patrol guide. It's part of their operational manual. We we th- this is the the most dangerous part of of the naivete or the uh, the willful ignorance, the cognitive dissonance of the left. It's that they know, they know, many on the left know that the passage you just read exists. They could probably recite it, but they go out of their way to bury it. They go out of their way to bury it. And, and make no mistake, I don't candy coat things. I'm not a guy who likes to sugarcoat because I believe sugarcoating gets people killed. When you when you obfuscate that, when you try to create a false narrative that a lone wolf is not every bit the ISIS fighter, the al-Qaeda terrorist, as are those guys driving around in the, in the, the armed pickups... When you do that, you're endangering lives. Here in America, here in Europe, you're endangering lives. What's scary to me, though, is that this is coming fast and furiously to Canada. And you've got, you've got a prime minister in Canada who is so naive, whose head is so far in the sand, he is inviting terrorists into his nation and literally putting them on our doorstep. We're going to be talking about that when we come back. You're with John Cardillo filling in for Glenn Beck. It's the Glenn Beck Programme. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program,
0: The
2: Glenn Beck Program. You're on. Welcome back to the Glenn Beck Program. I'm John Cardillo, standing in for Glenn today, and I'll be back with you tomorrow morning. You can also catch me on Twitter, at John Cardillo. That's J-O-H-N-C-A-R-D-I-L-L-O. I'm often going to be live tweeting during the show. Tiffany Gabay in studio with me, and we're talking this uh, whole first hour about this terrible U.N. uh, resolution against Israel and global terror. And so we've been talking about the Berlin attack and and the the fallacy of a lone wolf and how Al-Qaeda has been promoting lone wolf terror for years for years since before the boston marathon and how it's always been a fundamental uh, a fundamental tactic of isis and so we see these these terrorists becoming emboldened and i was talking a little bit in the last segment about the virtual caliphate how isis is is doing a masterful an absolutely masterful job of using the internet to recruit and fundraise and, and plot coordinate and carry out attacks and now we have, uh, in addition to Barack Obama, thank God, thank God Barack Obama's out of here. A world has been destabilized. It, it's so dangerous, so dangerous. But we, we have really what is Obama 2.0 uh, uh, running our friendly neighbor to the north, Canada, in Justin Trudeau. I mean, talk about a guy who is dangerously naive. Now, Justin Trudeau put out a, a Christmas, or a, I shouldn't say Christmas because he would never use the term Christmas, but Justin Trudeau up in Canada... The Prime Minister of Canada got the job that his dad used to have, and he is he is probably, oh, I would say arguably, one of the most progressive world leaders today, one of the most dangerously naive world leaders today, put out a, a, a he actually said, Merry Christmas Canada, so that's shocking. But then he went on not to talk about Jesus or Christianity or Santa, but he did talk about Syrian refugees and how we must, uh, he basically said, I ask you to, hold on, I just lost that, Justin Trudeau said, uh, today, as Canadians continue to welcome Syrian refugees, we open our hearts and homes to those most in need. And right on the heels of that, a Canadian imam, a guy named Abdullah Obeid, he's the imam of the a Mosque in Ottawa, said that eventually all Canadians and all people around the world will accept Islam. Because Hussein... ...who considers himself... uh, ...whoever Hussein is... ...who's the grandson of Mohammed... ...is the true inheritor... inheritor ...of Jesus, Moses, and Mohammed... ...now I don't even know what the last part of that sentence really means... ...Tiffany's here kind of laughing at me... ...I don't know what it means... ...but what I do know... ...is when a prominent Canadian imam... ...Canadian imam... ...says that all Canadians... ...will bow to Islam... ...and the Prime Minister of Canada... ...is dangerously naive... ...on global security... ...and then... Out of Britain, we have we have British Muslims chanting, chanting. Hundreds of Muslims gathering outside the Syrian embassy, chanting. Uh, and what did they say? It was very interesting what they said. They say they said, "Hey hey, oh hey hey, USA, you will pay. Caliphate is on its way." Now I don't know about you, but to me that's in law enforcement we call that a clue. We call that a clue. You know, when, when you've got hundreds of Muslims chanting in the streets of Great Britain saying, hey, hey, USA, caliphate is on its way, and a Canadian imam saying, Canadians, and, and by definition, the US, because we're 11 feet away from Canada, uh, when they're saying things like that, maybe, now I don't know, it's crazy. It's a crazy Cardillo suggestion, maybe I'm a little conservative. Maybe we should listen. Maybe we should prepare for this.
1: Tiffany? Yeah, so when someone reveals himself to you, believe him. Um, but that, right, exactly. <laughs> it's really not that difficult.
2: But, I mean, and, and they've been... So- but, then, but if somebody said if somebody called 911 and said, hey, hey, I'm on the way, I'm coming to rob your bank today, would we not send police cars to the bank? Would we say, oh, that's hilarious, that's not what he means, they don't, they don't mean that. No, we would have a SWAT team sitting outside the bank.
1: Exactly. And and I don't really understand what the pathology is. Is it that we cannot accept that people truly think this way? I think that's really what it is. In the West, it is so alien to us. It's a good point. To think and to even comprehend that there are people... Who have who do not value life? For example, there was that absolutely horrific video
2: of the Turkish was, burning the Turkish soldiers.
1: Well, burning the Turkish soldiers, and then there was another one with a Syrian fighter, and he was yes, strapping yes. on a suicide vests with his, you know, on his seven-year-old daughters, his, and literally sending them off. Well, I
2: think vest. that's what it is, right? And I've said this, and I say this, and and people can't comprehend. No, and people get really upset with me, but I say it through the law enforcement lens. We're not going to wake up until a Beslan-style attack happens here. Now, Sandy Hook was, was tragic, and you saw what he did. And, but until a beslan and I fear it's going to happen because we don't want to arm our teachers and we don't want to get serious about security. And if you don't remember the Beslan attack with the Chechnyan Muslims when they went into a school mm-hmm. and slaughtered little innocent children, we will not wake up. And God help us if that happens here. Because all of, everybody who's so worried about, about security, and it, it, it's going to get far worse. We need to prevent that. We cannot afford an attack like that. The American psyche cannot afford that blow. And I fear that for too many, it's going to take something that devastating to wake them up. Thankfully, there are people in law enforcement and the intelligence community who get it. But too many Americans don't. And I think you're right. It's because their 30. own frame of reference can't, can't handle this. It doesn't, this doesn't exist.
1: No, they project their own Western values on a people, you know, to whom that's completely anathema, an alien. At the end of the day, when you have an imam saying that Canadians are going to bow and accept Allah, it is because, you know, even if it's not through the caliphate or terrorism, their own religious doctrine says that.
2: I, I tend to uh, to agree with you, Tiffany. When we come back, we're going to be talking about a shakeup in the Trump campaign. Some interesting gossip coming out of that as well. You with John Cardillo, the Glenn Beck Program. The
0: Glenn Beck Program. Mercury.